great Scott. Are you a sports fan who loves to have a good laugh? Oh, yeah. Then you're in the right place. I'm going to make him an offer again. Life moves pretty fast. Welcome to the Man Cave Chronicles. $42,172 in student debt. $42,587 worth of student debt. Hey, I'm Michael Torpy. My show Paid Off is the only game show working to end the student debt crisis. We asked 100 recent college graduates, what is the last thing you'd want your parents to find in your dorm room? Tierra. Use condom? Whoa. <laughs> Top spot again, Sierra! How long do you have to date before it's okay to fart in front of your partner? Chad. Six months. Number one answer again, Chad! As an architecture major, if you could build a structure that would represent your student debt, what would it be? It'd be a giant middle finger. Yeah. Woo! <laughs> Paid off series premiere July 10th. The more you know, the less you owe. Welcome to another episode of the Man Cave Chronicles podcast, a podcast of talk culture where everyone has a story. I am your host, Elias, and you can find me on Twitter at the MCC Podcast. My guest this week, you've seen him on Netflix's Orange is the New Black, and now he's the host of Paid Off, Michael Torpy. Michael, welcome to the cave. Elias, thanks so much for having me, man. Great cave. Uh, so what's uh, how are things with you, man? What's new with you? Man, I'm working on this game show I made. It's pretty wild. We, we created this. Uh, you know, a, a pretty weird idea. We decided to tackle the student debt crisis via a comedy game show, and it feels like it's actually working. Yeah. You know, we're, we're, we're raising a big stink about how messed up the situation with higher education is, and at the same time, we're giving away a ton of money to folks who really need it. it it's been a wonderful experience. So, so, so listeners, remember you from Orange is the New Black, Veep, Inside Amy Schumer, and Now Paid Off. I want the listeners to get to, to get to know you a little bit more about you. Where are you originally from? Yeah, I grew up in uh, Glen Rock, New Jersey, which is a very quaint suburban town in northern New Jersey. Had uh, 13,000 people in it. It was like one square mile. Okay. So pretty classic small-town Americana stuff. I went to my public high school. We had a 4th of July parade with floats, and the Boy Scouts and Girl Scouts would throw Tootsie Rolls at you. It was like if you were to distill classic Norman Rockwell Americana into a small New Jersey town, that was it. Yeah. Uh, it. It felt very small growing up there, but it was, you know, comforting. It was, it was where everyone knew your business, and sometimes that was good, and sometimes it was annoying. Yeah. Did you, uh, what were you into as a kid? Did you play sports? I did. You know, I, I played soccer and baseball all growing up, um, and I also did shows. It, it was because it was a small town, you kind of needed everybody to do everything. Okay. So from the school year, I'd play soccer in the fall, and then I would do the musical uh, in the winter, then beginning of spring, we would do a play, and then that would go right into baseball season. Right. And then during the summer, I traveled around playing baseball and soccer. Nice. Did you, um, so what did you do after high school? Uh, I went to Colgate University for my, uh, I got a theater degree there. Okay. I, in upstate New York, it's a small, very cold town almost the entire year. Uh, when I graduated, we all had blankets on our laps as snow was falling from the sky in mid-May. So it was, uh, it was a school where you really had to make your own fun because there was not much of a town. You were kind of in the middle of nowhere. 
so it was a good place to kind of hunker down with buddies and, you know, just be weird. Like, yeah. entertain yourselves, come up with fun games. And, and being a theater major there was great. I got to be in every show. I got to learn a ton from great professors. Uh, and just, just play and explore. So uh, what made – two-part question. What made you pursue acting? And uh, how did it go, like, when you told your parents you wanted to go to college for acting? You know, I, I'd done it from an early age. Uh, I'm the youngest in my family of, of three kids. I've got an oldest sister and a middle brother. And I think it's kind of typical for the youngest to, you know, want to perform a little bit. I, you know, I was never, I could never appeal to my siblings in terms of being able to play the things that they played. I wasn't as fast or as strong as them. I wasn't as smart as them yet. But what I could always do would be to entertain them, to try to make them laugh. So, and I think that's pretty typical of like the youngest sibling. You've got to find your way into the family and, and get yourself accepted. Uh, so I, I think early on I started enjoying trying to make my family laugh and performing for them. And that fed its way into being in the drama clubs and in junior high and in high school. And, and my sister and brother both, they, they did all these shows you know, when they were going through high school. So I, I would go to their performances. So... It was always just around, you know. My family was actually very supportive. We would go into the city, like once a year, and go see a Broadway show. So my parents thought it was important to expose me to the arts and to to let me see these things in in New York. So when I decided I was going to be a theater major, they were super supportive. Yeah. Um, they, you know, they wanted me to make what I wanted out of my college experience, and you know that all kind of factors into how I came up with the idea for this game show. But, you know, I was incredibly lucky. My, my parents uh, took out a second line of equity on their home, and they wanted me to, you know, follow my, my passions as I did my studies. And that's what allowed me to be a theater major. Yeah. You know, if I, if I knew I was going to be facing, you know, $100,000 in debt as soon as I left college, I don't think I would have made that choice. I would have felt pressure to take a major that would lead more directly to a job, you know, which a, a theater degree uh, most certainly does not. Yeah. So after college, uh, like, where did you, uh, like, where did your path take you? Did you stay in the New York area, New Jersey, or did you go right to L.A.? Uh, I stayed in New York. I mean, the immediate path with a theater degree was back to my parents' house. Okay. Uh, because there's no, there's no job. There's nothing there waiting for you. So I, I went back home and I started temping and waiting tables and, trying to save up enough money to move into the city. Uh, and then once I had an apartment in New York, I continued to wait tables and uh, audition as much as possible and try to create my own opportunities. So I started writing with friends. We started writing sketches and filming them and putting them up online. Did anything to continue to perform and continue to work those creative muscles. It's it's the cliched path of an actor, you know, wait tables at night and audition and hustle during the day. Yeah. How did you, uh, so how did you land your first gig and what was it? My first gig, I think the first real commercial I had was for CarMax, the, uh, the used car company. Okay. You know, I, I got into an agency uh, just by volunteering my time. There was a group called Colstein Talent Agency and they weren't even based in Manhattan. They were in... Uh, Suffern, New York, and I would drive up there and intern for three hours in the morning, just like filing headshots and doing submissions for other shows. And in return for that, they let me submit myself for jobs. Oh. 
But I would do that in the morning, and then I'd go into the city and wait tables at night, and then hustle back to my parents' house afterwards. Yeah. But I, I got the audition for a CarMax car sales commercial, and I went down to Baltimore and uh, did all these, like, photos and filmed a commercial where I was, like, you know, like a car, it's like a cheesy car commercial. I was, yeah. like, walking and talking in the, uh, in the parking lot, showing this woman some, like, old, you know, Honda Civic or something. And then... Uh, I, you know, I never saw the commercial because this was before CarMax really was nationwide. They just had a, it was all like local ad buys. But years later, Buddy's sister sent me a photo. There was like a gigantic banner up in the CarMax in her town. And it was a photo of me nice. sitting at a desk like holding up some random pamphlet. <laughs> so there may still be uh, at the odd CarMax outlet, you might still be able to find some literature with my face on it. <laughs> now you did a few commercials too. Tell us about, I mean, you got to work with Michael Jordan in the Haynes commercial. I sure did, man. That was that was by far, you know, uh, that was a real launching point for me. Um, I, ha- I was not in the union yet at that point. That was the job where I joined the Screen Actors Guild union, and it was uh, it was an unbelievable job. I mean, the exposure was fantastic, and uh, working with Michael Jordan was yeah. unbelievable. I mean, the guy is an absolute legend for many reasons he was an incredible basketball player obviously but he's a shrewd businessman when i i mean he bought the charlotte Bab- bobcats that weekend yeah. while we were filming he just always has a million things going on and he's uh, amazing at all of them like he's good in those commercials he knows what he's doing yeah. um, but those were great for me also because they the director that i worked with was really loose and he allowed me to play around a lot and improvise a lot of moments and I was able to really showcase uh, what I think I'm good at in those spots. And that became a good thing for me to circulate and show other people to show, you know, what what kind of comedy I can bring to a scene. Yeah. Uh, what was your reaction when you first heard that you were going to be in a commercial with Michael Jordan? Oh, uh, it was uh, absolutely astounding. Mm-hmm. I was going, the audition process was kind of long for a TV commercial. You know, usually you do two auditions, uh, and that's kind of it. But I think because this was a larger project, I had to meet with them more times. And they were based out in L.A., so each time I would have to go to an office in New York and they would set up a little camera and and I would, you know, like have a Skype audition session with the producers. Uh, And I think they wanted to know that, you know, I wouldn't be intimidated uh, to be working with him and that I also knew who he was. So he would improvise scenes just based on being with Michael Jordan the whole campaign was based on pretty much his real life, like what it's like to be Michael Jordan. Everybody thinks they know you and everybody wants to be your friend. So I got to play this, you know, not too dissimilar from myself version where, of course, I want to talk to Jordan. Like if I get seated next to Jordan on an airplane, I'm going to try to talk to him and I'm going to try to become best friends. Uh, So it was it was fun to play just a heightened, more annoying version of that. But it was, it was unbelievable. I mean, it was incredibly exciting. Um, I had actually some travel planned that week. Um, my wife and I were going with her parents down to Florida. And I had to leave the like, vacation a day early to fly out to L.A. to shoot these commercials. And the whole time I was in Florida, I was trying to learn these lines. I was like bringing the script with me into restaurants and just sitting there and like <laughs> studying these lines. So I didn't like screw up my big opportunity with Jordan. Um, But I mean, once, once it got rolling, I mean, he, he was amazing and and a real treat to work with. 
So I mentioned earlier that you were on Orange is the New Black and you played uh, CEO Thomas Humphrey. Uh, so tell us about the audition for that and like, how did you fall into that? You know, that was for, it was similar to kind of any audition I go on. It's, just, it's so funny how sometimes you just never know where the audition is going to lead. You know, you go in for something and it ends up being, if you book the job, obviously, any, any job you get is fantastic. But sometimes you book a job and it ends up just being one day of work and then you got to go look for your next job. But when I went in for that role, I didn't know what it would become. I didn't know what they had planned for that character at all. Um, and so I, maybe luckily I, I wasn't you know, overly nervous for it. I just treated it like anything else. I learned the script, went in, did my best and, and left and tried to focus on you know, the next day's work. And then when I got the call for that job and they told me that the plan was that it would be recurring, I was floored. Yeah. I mean, sometimes you think, don't you, like, don't you want me to do more? That audition was, I think, literally I said three lines. The whole audition was the, the first scene that we film in the show, which is a quick scene. You know, I don't have a lot to say. Uh, but it was, a, it was a casting office that I knew well, so I think they were able to say that, you know, they, they could vouch for me and say that they knew that I would do good work. Um, but, yeah, I mean, going in for that, I had no idea that it would become a job that I would have for the next two years yeah. and that it would become, you know, the, most, the highest profile job I would have. Did you, um, were you a fan of Orange is the New Black? Yeah, absolutely, man. I mean, that show, uh, every aspect of it I thought was, was revolutionary and, and so well thought out. Uh, I, I, even from like the show open, you know, like nobody does credit sequences anymore. And then Orange came out with this, this beautifully shot credit sequence these faces of real inmates yeah. that just draws you in instantly. And, and, you know, since then, I think we've seen a lot of these, um, street, you know, Netflix and Amazon shows and the HBO shows go back to doing a proper credit sequence that really sets the stage for the episode that, that follows. Um, and just the performances, like seeing such a strong uh, female-driven cast, knowing that the creator of the show is female and the, a lot of the directors are female, uh, you know, when that show came out, I think a lot of people started paying attention to it, and I was, you know, over the moon that I got that job. Yeah. I had auditioned for other roles in the show and not gotten them. Okay. And now I'm I'm so happy that I was able to come in and and book something that was so substantial as opposed to getting something that was only on one episode. Yeah. So you played a villain on the show. How did you prepare for that character? Yeah, I was not a nice guy. <laughs> um, you know, I, my wife is a psychologist. And it has been incredibly beneficial for me to pick her brain when I have to play a darker character. You know, she helps me get into the psyche of, you know, what, what this behavior could come from. It helps me build the backstory for justifying uh, being a really terrible human being. Um, so it was really, it was super helpful to kind of chat through things with her and say, you know, this guy, what are his motivations? What do you think his childhood was like? and we could build a foundation to work off of. Yeah, as an actor, I always approach my characters with a certain amount of empathy. I try to think about, you know, what life did they envision for themselves when they were young, and what kind of things could have brought them to where they, you know, where they ended up. Because yeah. um, I don't think anybody, you know, no, when, a, when a child, you know, you, you go to a bunch of first graders and you ask them what they want to be when they grow up, uh, no one says sociopath. 
You know, no one says I want to I want to torture women in prison. Yeah. So yeah. like, what you know, what events happened in his life that led him astray? Uh, and how, how can we then make that very real and grounded and, and have a full character? Do you have a favorite scene that you were in? In that show, um, you know what I loved? I, I loved working with those fellow guards. We all joined the show at the same time. Um, so it was like Brad Hankey and, uh, uh, and Mike Houston, those guys were a ton of fun to work with. Evan and uh, like... The, so any shot where like it's us back in the barracks screwing around or it was us in the van or us in the break room, even though all of our characters were total pieces of shit, those guys were a lot of fun to work with. Um, so it was like a weird, it actually was, it was a weird conflict where like you have so much fun being such a horrible person because the people you're working with are so much fun to, to share the screen with. So so now you uh, like you mentioned before you're the host of Paid Off on True TV. Now you co-created that show? Yes, I did. It, it was an idea that I came up with uh, after my family's experience with student loan debt. Okay. Uh, so I, as, as I told you before, I was incredibly privileged in that my parents said that they would figure out how to pay for my college education, uh, and then that really freed me up to do you know to follow a passion, yeah. and I would not be where I am today if I hadn't had that privilege, if I hadn't had that freedom to approach college with an open mind and, and follow my heart. Uh, but not everyone's that lucky. Yeah. Uh, and I, I really only learned about student debt after I met my wife. She owed around $40,000 when we first met. And she was, you know, making it work. She was uh, hustling and babysitting and working and like doing all the things you have to do when you've got this extra payment on top of your rent and your living expenses every month. Um, but it was at the same time we got engaged and I booked that uh, Haynes commercial with Jordan. And that Jordan commercial was the first time that I really had any money in my savings account. You know, I'd, I'd been waiting tables and booking small jobs here and there, but this was the first like big national commercial. So we're looking at our finances and she's got these loans sitting with these huge interest rates. And we decided to just write a check and be done with it. Like, yeah. let's be able to move forward as we get married and have this clean slate. And we, you know, write the check and put it in the envelope. And my wife just starts crying. And uh, I felt really embarrassed that I didn't understand what it meant to carry that weight. Yeah. What, how it affects every decision you make every day. Uh, yeah. And at the same time, I was really aware of how absurd it was that it took an underpants commercial for us to be able to pay for an education. Yeah. And not everyone has access to that. You know, like, if you're a teacher, no one's going to say, hey, look, this is your yearly salary. But there's a chance that this afternoon, if you, were, if you coach the basketball team, we're going to give you an extra $40,000. Like, no, you know, we're very fortunate that I work in a career where you can all of a sudden book a job that pays you a ton of money and we could pay off her loans. But it's just not there for other people. And it made me wonder, how the hell does anyone else do this? Yeah, I mean, I have uh, two little kids and my we're still paying off my wife's loans and we have a mortgage and everything. And it's tough every month, you know, dishing out an extra four or five hundred. It's actually like 500 bucks a month. Absolutely. And, we, and every few months I'm like, is this almost paid off? And she's like, no, we have a few more years left. It, yeah, it, it feels like it, it feels like it never ends. 
No, yeah, and you'll just get out from under it as your kids are getting into it. Yeah. Like, yeah. It, it is. It's a, it's a real hindrance on people being able to live their lives and be able to live the life that they pictured when they went to college in the first place. You know, you're told from an early age, this is the path. You know, you're going to bust your butt in high school so you can get into a good college. No one talks about how the fact, if you can't afford that college, it's going to hold you back from doing the exact stuff you wanted, to, the reasons you went to college. Exactly. Yeah. So when you pitched the idea, did you go to other networks first before True TV picked it up? The first thing I did was I partnered with a production company called Cowboy Bear Ninja. Okay. Uh, I've seen some of the other work that they were doing. They made a really cool show that's on, it's on Netflix right now called Liquid Science. And they went around with Jizza from the Wu-Tang Clan and talk about breakthroughs in science and technology. And I liked how they took, a, you know, serious scientific developments and made it interesting and made it palatable, like made it engaging for a broader audience. And that was something I knew I'd have to do with this show. No one wants to sit there and hear about how bad the student debt crisis is every week. So we have to make the show fun and engaging and exciting so that we can, you know, you know, do a little bit of both. I can have, give you an entertaining, funny show and then remind you, look, we're here because the situation around higher education is supremely screwed up. Yeah. You know, we got to do both. And I saw they were doing that cool, uh, doing it in a nice way with their programming. So that was my first step to partner with them. And then we went around to a couple different networks and shopped it around. And we had interest from, interest from some other places, but True TV really came out quickly as the ideal home for it. Um, because really, it's part of the people that watch True TV. Like, they're they're a little bit older, and those are the people that I'm speaking to yeah. directly. They're the ones that have been like yourself, man. Like, you're you're trying to continue on with your life, and yet you're still being held back by this student debt. Yeah. And I wanted these people who've been dealing with this for seven, eight years, ten years, fifteen years to. To say, look, I see you out there. I know it's hard for you right now. Here's my here's my uh, attempt at raising awareness about this, giving away some money to folks just like you, and, and just say, like, I, I see you out there struggling, and I'm going to do what I can to help. How do you uh, like get the funding for you know for each winner, the mm -hmm. or is it pays off their debt? You know, it's all part of the the budget for making the show, so okay. it's a little bit of. They, you know, you have to do some guessing because you never know how much people are going to actually win. Um, but that's all stuff that we kind of plan out ahead of time. We look at how much money we we plan to give away over the course of the season, and, and it's all just built into the budget. Yeah. Now, uh, are you uh, are you the writer on the show too? Do you come up with the questions? Do you have like a writing team for the questions? We've got a writing team. I do I do some of the writing, but we put together a really killer staff uh, to put together the season. I mean, there was a lot of writing that needed to happen, so. We, we reached out to some folks that some of them have a history of working in late night TV. Um, some are just stand up comedians and some are like trivia hounds, like people who run like bar trivia nights in New York City. So we put together a, a mix of people with different talents to, to complement each other. Yeah. So if somebody wanted to come on the show, what do they need to do? Well, right now, uh, we need to get more episodes ordered. So the first step is for, for True TV to ask us to make more. And as soon as they do that, I would share the casting information. We already shot out uh, all of season one. We did all 16 episodes over two weeks down in Atlanta, Georgia. Um, but, you know, we're very hopeful that True TV is going to ask us for some more episodes. And if they do, I will be 
putting out all the casting information. So the be the best thing to do would be to follow uh, me on Twitter and Instagram. My handle is at Torpy Michael. Follow at True TV and check the hashtag Paid Off. Because as soon as we find out, we'll be making more episodes. We'll be letting everybody know. All right. And um, do you want to tell the listeners uh, what time the show comes on? Absolutely. New episodes are on every Tuesday at 10 p.m. on True TV. All right. And it's also, uh, they do replays of the show now too, correct? Yeah, yeah. They're putting it on at different times. You know, it's, it varies week to week. Okay. But uh, hopefully, you know, if it's not Impractical Jokers, then it's us. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. Like uh, I was telling you, like we put the TV on to practice. We'll be making dinner and Practical Jokers is playing in the background. It seems like that yeah. channel it seems <laughs> like that channel never changes. And that's how I caught your show and I was like, Oh yeah, I was like, I want to reach out to him. We'd be a fun guest to have on. Oh, that's great, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, no, look, and Practical Jokers, like, they hold it down over here. Oh, yeah. Those guys are killer. Uh, and it's awesome to be able to follow them. You know, lots of times they'll have an episode on right before us. And I think, you know, th that audience is so strong. Uh, we really appreciate the Impractical Jokers fans that are giving our show a shot. Yeah. Is there anything else you want to tell the listeners before we end this? Well, the main part of the show is, like, we're looking for people to connect right now. You know, we think there's a, there's a lot of discord in our country. People are, are, are quick to disagree with each other on a ton of topics. But I really think that the student debt crisis is something that we should all be able to get together on. We've got 45 million Americans out there with $1.5 trillion of student loan debt. You're one of them. Our neighbors, our coworkers, our teachers, our doctors, this affects so many people. Why is this what we're asking of people who, who want to get an education? You know, I just think we should really be evaluating our goals as a country and, and thinking about what we're asking of folks who simply want to better themselves. Yeah. Ideally, that's something we can all get behind and, and we can push for some real change and, and help people out. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know how old you are, but I'm 41 years old, and I've met some of these kids that are graduating college, or they're moving back home because they can't afford to do anything after college. Absolutely, man. I mean, if you look at what's happened in the cost of college the past 15 years, it has gone through the roof, and wages have not. Okay. Like, things are just getting more and more expensive for students, and then they come out, and the, the jobs aren't there. The jobs that are there don't pay enough to help out with their loans. Rent has gone through the roof. Like... It, it, the cost of college has taken advantage of federal programs that were designed to help people. You know, the government decided they were going to loan more money, and colleges took advantage of that. Yeah, I know. It's like I, I don't know. I mean, do you ever see college funding going down? You know, like the prices for kids to get an I, education these days? I think it has to. I think. I mean, we can't we can't force private schools to change anything, yeah. but we can we can step up with our public universities. And, and change the way that they're funded, increase state funding, increase federal funding, and put pressure on them to lower their costs. Yeah. You know, a lot of the increase in tuition, it's gone to administrative costs. It's a business. Like, there's an industry of college now that's gotten out of control. You know, the money's not going to professors. You look across the country, there are adjunct professors going on strike everywhere because they are paid garbage. Yeah. It'd, be, it'd be one thing if college was more expensive and the money was going to the teachers. That's not what's happening. So I, I do think it needs to go down. It definitely needs to go down for the students. Uh, and I think they can cut costs in a lot of ways, and we can also increase funding. Yeah. We just need to decide that it's a priority. right? We, we've done these things before as a country. Yeah. If we just decide that this is important enough to us, you know, we can do it. All right, uh, one more time. Do you want to share your, uh, uh, your social media handles with the listeners? Absolutely, yeah. Somebody out there has Michael Torpy. If you're listening, 
could you just give it to me? <laughs> Until then, I'm at Torpy Michael. So T O R P E Y M I C H A E L. That's on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, you can find me. I've got a, a, a show page on Facebook for, for Paid Off that you can like, and, and you'll have all the updates there as well. Uh, but that's it. Come, come chat, man. I'm here for the conversation. You want to tell me what's going on with you and your student debt? Uh, let's talk. All right. Yeah, I want to thank you for coming on. Let's get you back on in a few months. I love it, man. Thanks so much. All right.